exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God. This is The Cumberland Road. I am your host, T.J. Melanoski. Today's guest is Reverend Lee Hollinshed, and she jumps right into the conversation about her faith and in describing her chaplaincy and her ministry at Hickory Log. She does so with enthusiasm and gusto. Lee shares how she has learned that there is an art to sharing the gospel without watering it down. In our conversation, Lee also shares a moment in her life where she received affirmation that this is where God has meant for her to be all along. Enjoy today's conversation on the Cumberland Road with Reverend Lee Hollinshed. Well, hello, Lee. Thank you for joining me. Okay, Hickory Log. Officially, Hickory Log is a personal care home for men, adult men with special needs, intellectual disability, which before we were um, well-educated enough, it was called the R-word. There are two people with um, brain injuries at birth, which would also qualify them under Georgia State and Federal Department of Education guidelines for intellectual disability. And one gentleman uh, had several strokes, unfortunately brought on by alcohol and drug use. Uh, we are, our website, hickorylog.org, says that we are a safe place for men with special needs to call home. And Hickory Log has been in existence since 1970, founded by the Munn family of Cartersville, who wanted a place for their son, who had Down syndrome, to live. And it started out as kind of a residential, kind of a vocational school. And as the years have gone on, it's become more of a a residential home using outside agencies such as uh, sheltered workshops and uh, on-the-job training to uh, hopefully teach them uh, vocational skills, personal living, personal uh, data skills, uh, daily living skills, and for the very few that really or had moderate and severe intellectual disability, you just have a safe place to live. And we have a pretty much a continuum of services and we're hoping to get better and better. We are not funded by the state or federal government because of the way the, the, way the laws changed when um, anti-institutional movements started. Um, we, the, the men who have uh, disability and social security can use that toward their uh, room boarding rent. However, the state will not pay for us because we are in sort of a dormitory model rather than individual cabins or homes with uh, house parents. But we have complete oversight over everyone's 
living arrangements and care. And, you know, and we are completely, you know, we completely vet and um, investigate people who uh, apply for a job with us. Uh, whereas if you have someone in a a host home, they call them. There have been there have been cases where the uh, the for want of a better term, house parents, the people running, you know, taking care of the individuals with disability, have been, you know, not feeding them well, not housing them well, taking their disability checks and using it. And so, while we struggle financially pretty often, uh, we still know that these folks receive three good meals a day, uh, air conditioning, uh, heat and air, you know, indoor plumbing. You know, we've got a very good, very nice building. And you can visit us at hickorylog.org or check us out on uh, our Facebook page, Hickory Log Personal Care Home, and find out more. Uh, just know that is probably the worst picture I've ever made in my life. The picture of yourself? <laughs> yes, they forgot about <laughs> So one day I came in and um, once the pandemic started, uh, my time for make, wearing makeup has been few and far between and it was not a good day <laughs> 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 or yeah, presentation. But every time I go to Hickory Log, I, I feel oh, that's where God meant me to be all along. And when you, and when I, Think back over my life from about age nine to however old I was when I was ordained, uh, May the 28th, 2017. It was all working together. And I've used every part of the education and experience that God's put in front of me to wind up being the most effective, most Sharing chaplain for people with intellectual disabilities, I can do. And yes, learning uh, learning differences uh, is what you know. A lot of us like to say, uh, people with uh, you know uh, learning differences, because our folks are not like children. Our men are not like little children. Our men are like adult men who. Think more along the lines of children of reason and process, but they know they're adult men. We had a gentleman with Down syndrome named uh, Joey, and you know, forgive me if I speak in you know this you know in jargon. I was a special education teacher for 29 years. Oh wow! And you know, you might have to stop and say, well, "What does that mean?" But Joey, Joey's differences were like moderate to severe, which means Joey could not talk very much. He could, you know, do self-care. He could pretty much bathe, you know, well on his own. He, he could eat for sure. Um, but uh, Joey could not read. Joey did not always understand social situations. And if Joey got frustrated, uh, Many times his, uh, you know, way of expressing that would be 
pretty clear cuss words. <laughs> and then sometimes as he got older and started having some uh, dementia like problems, uh, he would lash out and fight. But I was the only person he never hit. <laughs> Lee, you are the chaplain at Hickory Log, and ju just to summarize, Hickory Log is a residential home for people with special needs, including intellectual disabilities and traumatic brain injuries. Yes. And your role as a chaplain, what does that include? Um, I uh, provide worship service every Sunday at 2 o'clock for those who want to come in. Uh, many people don't, but being, you know, Cumberland Presbyterians, whoever will may come, whosoever will may come and whoever so doesn't, doesn't have to. But it's, you know, and I don't know why some don't, except that that's a really good time for, you know, basketball, football and soccer. <laughs> uh, but I, we have the, the short service, um, my sermon is more like a, sorry, my sermon is more of a homily, really. Um, before I got started in 2014, I prayed and thought and paced and prayed and came up with the way I would do it if I were teaching a, a class in um, American Lit, so break it down to the bare, you know, to the bare bones, what's the most important things to do. In this case, since I wasn't teaching um, some specific learning disabled students with average or above average IQs to pass the graduation test, um, I broke it down to one word. And I call it a word from the Lord. Um, and then, you know, I have a verse go with it well sometimes more than one but I try to keep it at the very you know limited first try to narrow my topic way down and uh, develop a, a sermon on that and especially in the last year year and a half I've solicited a lot more input from my men because it's it's for them mm -hmm. you know I, Whenever you take a class from Reverend Dr. Ann Hayes, she walks in, she writes on the board, it's not about you. And she turns around and says, if you don't get anything else from me this whole time, we have to get You remember, it's not about you. And since it's about them, you know, that's why we do it. Lee, what skills and experience that you drew from the special education and the classroom setting, how much and what carries over into your ministry in terms of how you relate? And you've mentioned a little bit about preparation and delivery of sermon, but what other skills and experiences just carry over in terms of sharing the gospel? It's really important when, when I break it down and present it to make sure that if I use, um, and I do, that I use common everyday English, 
uh, I learned in the first year, I really didn't need to grab Strong's importance and, uh, you know, the, you know, great big, what is it, the interpreter's Bible. Um, you know, I did not need to be exegeting my topic to death and, you know, throwing out the Greek and Hebrew words, although every now and then I do, and they're used to that. They, they know I'm weird. It's fine. <laughs> But, you know, there's an art to breaking things down into, into a lower level vocabulary without dumbing it down, without sounding rude and disrespectful. And one thing I noticed in the classes I took, um, class on millennials, postmodern ministry, there's a whole lot of similarity. People who grew up who were not in the church often don't know what our what our churchy jargon means. And while almost all of my gentlemen grew up in, you know, the church universal, still you want to make sure that you don't take for granted um, that they know what the churchy, you know, jargon means. So you break it down into simpler language that you, you know, you, you say it with love and respect. You do, you do not ever, ever, ever say, why don't you understand? You know, don't ask that, you know, don't, you know, don't ask that question. You know, we, you know, you could have heard me the first time. Of course, I didn't do that when I was teaching. Lee, what is the most rewarding aspect of working with this population? Uh, you've spent a career working in special special education and working with individuals from various age groups with intellectual disabilities. What have you drawn in terms of the most rewarding aspect in this ministry? Because it is a ministry. Oh, yes. It's not like being the chaplain of a nursing home where you, you know, have your, and I did Wednesday night Bible study too, much the same way. You don't pop in and out don't preach at them, you discuss with it. You discuss them with it, with it. Uh, most rewarding thing is um, when, when we all seem to feel the Holy Spirit at the same time and seeing some of those lights come on, you know, and some of it comes from them and not so much from me. A couple of years ago, before the pandemic, uh, the word from the Lord was uh, prayer. And I was using um, the, you know, Jesus' observation of the Pharisee and the tax collector in prayer. You know, we read the scripture and um, was talking about it. And said, you know, you know, what did you notice about maybe the difference between how the Pharisee prayed and how the tax collector prayed? And this gentleman, Daniel, popped up with, well, he was the only one who actually prayed. That, you know, that, that, oh, that just lit me up with joy. That was fantastic. Yeah. It, isn't it? It is so, such a privilege to be able to be in that setting and have things kind of click or the fall into place where 
the message, the biblical text just comes alive, not just for us as an individual, but as a small group. And and to be able to learn from one another, it's it, it's amazing. Well, I Lee, thank you. I just I wanted us to just kind of and you jumped right in there. I, I wanted the listeners to know where where you are in terms of um, a chaplain at, at Hickory Log and what Hickory Log is. And I thought that was a, a good introduction of being able to uh, look at a different aspect of of ministry. So, Lee, let I ask every guest this question, and I want to ask you, share a meaningful experience that you've had with God. There have been so many, and I thought it over and tried to, you know, narrow it down. Um, one of them is when I first started teaching uh, it was 1982 by that time, February of 1982. I had been trained as a French and German teacher. So I had a minor or pretty close to it in biology. And my goal at that time was to have a, a have small classes like uh, second and third year French were for me. And, um, you know, get very close to my students, like my French teacher did, like our band director did, and um, have a, um, um, you know, a close relationship with them. Well, in 19, I graduated December of 1980, and nobody wanted a French teacher. French was becoming out of style because Spanish was rising because you, you know, you were using Spanish with people a lot more often and um since you know december of 1980 i've only spoken french with a native french speaking person one time <laughs> actually it was two people it was two ladies during the olympics in atlanta from quebec who were lost and they were we were at lenox square and they were trying to find some place and so I was trying to speak with them and like many other folks, you know, who learned a language in school, when you actually use it with native speakers, it's not, not the same. So I was speaking with them and in French and I knew my accent was terrible. And I said, oh, your accent is beautiful. We know we're good now. <laughs> but I, you know, here I was looking for a job and I worked in a nursing home doing reality orientation for the next 10 months because we had to eat and while I loved that kind of work uh, having people pass away on a regular basis was kind of rough on me you know it's, it's not been easy to handle it when people die um, so I took the job teaching special ed to get my foot in the door. And within a month, I knew I loved it. And instead of just becoming certified, I went for a master's degree at uh, West Georgia. But it's hard. And the paperwork is was bad back then and got worse. And so February 1982, I was at the end of my road with the Hagers and 
having to have all this paperwork ready for parents, much less grade papers and things like that. And I would out the back door, go, you know, the gym, go into the stadium and just stood there and said, no, Lord, I just don't know if I can do this. I, I just don't think I can. And then I felt this peace wash over me and don't think anybody was there with me, but I could hear an audible voice that I think is Jesus. He said, no, you're going to be okay. I got you. And I saved that feeling for about 10 minutes and went in and kept teaching for the next 28 years. <laughs> wow. All you needed was assurance. Well, I never had been, you know, the queen of self-esteem anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in the 1960s. I had a name, Lee, that was spelled like a boy's name. I got into arguments over how to spell my name and whether or not it was a good name. This is my name. Um, It wasn't easy being a smart girl, (laughs) you know. Every now and then I'd hear, well, if you're too smart, the boys won't want to date you. By high school, I thought, well, I guess I just want that. I got a kick out of making A's. Sounds like you you were a pretty tough chick. Not like the the fighting kind, because I was pretty shy also, but I could stand up for myself. And I found out in the fifth grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, I was never going to make A's in everything after that. I have a specific learning disability and math calculation. I reverse and rotate numbers. Um, nines and sixes often look the same, or I'll mix them up. And that's called dyscalculia, if anybody wants to look it up. And that was playing out in uh, you know, my faith journey also because I it's kind of a mild disability compared to people having, it's more like a learning difference for sure, compared to people having, being unable to read, unable to write, uh, unable to move like other people. But teach me a, a little humility that, you know, I wasn't perfect and I never was going to be perfect. Get around it, or go over it, or under it, or something, and and get good results. Yeah, maybe looking at the the numbers differently allows you to have the gift of looking at the world differently. Exactly, exactly. I know what it feels like for something to be incredibly hard, and mm-hmm. and I I was told I had to take algebra two and trigonometry advanced algebra to get into college and um i did a lot of art projects and a lot of reports and i made 70 i mean just 70s my middle sister had 110 average her last two years well lee is there anything in your early childhood or teenage or early adult years that uh, brought you to the faith or made your faith in Jesus Christ stronger? 
There was a pastor when I was about, uh, we had when I was between nine and 10, uh, Second Baptist Church in Rockmont. His name was Guy Johnson. He was seminary educated. And there were a few people that kind of felt that against him, but we thought he was wonderful. He was a very kind, loving man. Uh, all of the children and youth at Second Baptist were like his grandchildren. And he preached more, more about the love of God and the loving sacrifice of Jesus than he did about if you ain't saved, you go hell. And uh, there was another person, his last name, Paul Jackson. He was the associational missionary. They called him kind of like your uh, kind of like stated clerk or maybe presbyterial pastor. Yeah, and this is in the Southern Baptist in the church. Southern Baptist <laughs> yeah. Church in the 1960s. Um, those people made a big impression on my son, all my Sunday school teachers did, especially in a, we had something called training, which is like Sunday night youth. Uh, Ms. Agnes Carroll, her son was in Vietnam. And so I don't know how in the world she managed to teach us little kids, uh, wondering if her son was going to make it home and what kind of shape he was going to be in. But she uh, taught me, taught us uh, John 3.16 and the Lord's Prayer. Of course, all the you know teachers. We had some you know wonderful, really cross-lot people there. We had a few who weren't quite so much like Jesus, but you know, <laughs> that didn't that didn't that wasn't you know become evident until my church split when I was eighteen. <laughs> and like you said, you know, we got to be finished in time for you to pick up your job. Lee, how did? Talk about your call to ministry, to the ministry of the Word and the sacraments, and in your introduction to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. How did all of that occur? Do they go together? What is that story like? Well, they all work together for good. <laughs> we're called to God's purpose. Um, when I was nine years old at that church, my mother was kind of like a, a youth leader. We had a little girls organization called Girls Auxiliary, Auxiliary to the boys who were royal ambassadors, of course, because the men were, you know, in charge of the church. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't dare to have heard of a, a woman, you know, pastor at that time. Although I think Preacher Johnson would not have been diverse. But anyway, um, I remember getting up behind the pulpit. We were getting ready to do a Christmas play or something, and they had not taken the, you know, pulpit, the, the lectern down itself. I remember standing up there on some box and looking over the church and getting this funny feeling. I wonder what it's like to And my mother immediately pitched a fit. Get that off of there. You know, somebody's going to see you. You know, some kind of sin. Um, later on, through the in, in vacation Bible school, and uh, in the you know little GA's group, we learned about medical missionaries. 
at that time, my mom bought us World Book Encyclopedia at a great, great expense to herself. And um, she, uh, you know, put them out. And I read World, World Book 1966 edition cover to cover over the next several years. I loved it. It wound up sending me to Berry College on a uh, uh, academic bow scholarship. So I felt that feeling and I started feeling like I was called to be a medical missionary, you know, to um, see, I think at that time it was the, the sick children in the Congo. And I always kept that, that feeling, of, you know, feeling called to help people. Of course, at that time, I would know a lot more had thought I was going to ever be called pastor. And, you know, I would have been called mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was the earliest feelings I can remember. Um uh, I definitely felt like after I've been teaching special ed, uh, a few weeks I was called to be a special ed feeling, I mean, teacher. So I always had that feeling of call the whole time. And uh, yes, I took French and German and never taught it, but it was very useful, you know, when I, started my theological education because all those wonderful books I borrowed from Mark and Michelle Rackley, um, you know, Octomeyers and, uh, you know, uh, Kittle and all that. When you have the uh, footnotes at the bottom uh, written in French and German, I could read them. And I'd have to grab my German dictionary, but I could, I could read those. But the really big, you know, call to the ministry was um, July the 11th. I wrote it down. July the 11th, 2006 at CPYC. Stephanie Brown and um, some folks from MTS had come over to talk to all the kids about, you know, possibility. It's, it's, it's God calling you into the ordained ministry. And Reverend Elton, Elton, Paul, his name is Mary. He's a pastor in CPCA in Waco, Texas, and he's also an accountant, I think, and also mayor of his small town. And he was up talking about how he was also pastoring a you know church, Cumberland Presbyterian Church in America. And I had been a Cumberland since 1981. I married a gentleman in 1980 who was a member of Bartow Cumberland Presbyterian. I was looking for another denomination in the time between 1976 and my church split, and I started seeing that a lot of the things I'd grown up with and Baptist theology just really didn't hold water. And the first time I went to Bartow Church was the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving 1978. And I was greeted by Clara Bagwell, Catherine Knorr, Pastor uh, Reverend Doris Knorr's wife, and Margaret Smith. And I immediately knew I was home. Uh, This is going to be so hard for you to edit. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, keep going. Keep going. Okay, so 
I felt like I was home over the next year because I learned never to take anything at face value. You know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Question authority has always paid off. I researched the Cumberland Presbyterian Church and the origins. I found out that, you know, Louisa Lusley had been a woman who was ordained, you know, despite being a woman. And, you know, through all of that, and I, you know, really, really, really checked out the theology. I felt like I couldn't go with the Methodist because I could not agree with uh, falling from grace. Um, I didn't care how anybody got baptized. I didn't, you know, I was raised Baptist and it was not necessary for salvation. And so, you know, it didn't matter if you were old or, or dumb or, or whatever. So through all that, I joined Cameron Presbyterian Church at Barto. Uh, I think it was March 15, 1981. It was right before that second anniversary. And stuck with it and continued teaching special ed. So get back around to CPYC in uh, 2006. I was musing on some of that and how in the world uh, Elton could manage to pastor a church, run his business, and be mayor of a small town when all of a sudden I felt it happen. And it, it felt like the song Showers of Blessing. I felt like God's blessing was raining down on me. Elton had been saying, you know, he ran from his call. Uh, doing, you know, this, that, and the other, not necessarily sinful stuff. He just didn't think he had time. And I don't know how he had time. I still don't know how he had time. <laughs> Even a, a part-time pastorate like mine, it, you know, takes a lot of time. But I just felt it, you know, blessing raining down on me. And I thought, why well, find it? And so I went up, and I never like going up to the front of the church never ever it's just like don't look at me and don't make assumptions about me so I just don't go up to the altar at all and I went up and I talked to Stephanie and I said I think I'd call and so we talked and prayed and later back going back to the on the way back to the cabin Mary was in our cabin and uh, you know of course Elton was with the, the young men and boys and I went and told them I said you gotta hear this because it was while you were talking that it happened. And so got back home because you can't make a phone call from uh, Camp Nakomi. <laughs> and I called up Mark Rackley. By that time, my first husband had passed away. And that's a long, long history that, you know, can come up some other time. But I called Mark and I said, I think I've been called. He said, really? Tell me that. And so I did. And so he said, why don't you think about it and pray about it? And you're ready, we'll talk to the session. And so when I spoke to the session, uh, most people looked like I could have knocked them over with a feather. <laughs> <laughs> because I was not, you know, the most, you know, get up in front of everybody kind of person. But um, Harris Bagwell and Alvin Richards said, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And they were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense to 
was told us that's fast. And one more person that um, I spoke to, John Collins, he's another friend. Also, um, by the time I told him, he was uh, head down. He was, I can't remember what all John had wrong with him, but it had nothing to do with his mind, his mind sharp. My son and I went to visit him, and I told him, and he said, I'm glad, I'm glad you're following God's call. It was no hint of, yeah, but you're a woman. You're not supposed to do that. That's what he's like, yeah. Well, we could see it coming. So eventually I wound up going before our Presbytery. And, you know, it's, by then Rhonda McGowan had uh, been, Reverend Rhonda McGowan uh, had been uh, paused a little while. Um, Chris was there. We had plenty of women elders. Um, in fact, Susan Turner uh, at that time was a, was a woman elder on the Bartow session. It was refreshing to be in a church where because you're a little woman, it didn't seem to make any difference in your value. And I understand it's not like that everywhere, but um, it, it is a Bartow church. In most churches in Tennessee, Georgia, Presbyterian. Sounds like you had good support really early on in your calling to ministry and, you know, God provided and placed in your life these wonderful support persons. Let's talk about today and where you see God working. I see God working at Hickory Log for sure. We've got men who have a very strong faith. Um, Another, you know, I can, I can pop back for a second to rewarding experiences. One of the rewarding experiences is that they ask for prayer. I mean, and it's not like, like they're oblivious to the need for prayer. That's not it at all. They're just like, you know, they are us, you know. But um, I have a praying community. Uh, they'll say, I say, you know, do y'all have any prayer requests? And a couple of them say, um, praying for you and Glenn. Um, it's not always been kind of like an open book, maybe too much at times, and they know like my dad's okay. <laughs> they were praying with you know when Glenn's parents were in their decline, but um God is uh, God at work in bringing bringing gifts out of people maybe they didn't know they had. Um, and you're uh, a true testament to that oh true yes <laughs> I guess so. um all the unexpected things i see god at work in the world even when people and groups are so opposed to each other um you see people say you believe my way it's all or nothing Yet there are people who kind of come out from among them and say, you know, we're all in this together. You know, Jesus loved everybody. And Jesus said uh, to the, you know, woman taken in adultery, you know, women who are, you know, where are your accusers who have condemned you? And she says, no, and Lord, you know, saw, saw what I'm mess they spiritual mess they were and dropped their rocks and left and jesus says neither do i condemn the bible maybe jesus gently just smiled and said hey and don't, don't 
Jesus knew that she wasn't perfect. Jesus was the only one who was not concerned. But um, I see people coming out. I mean, not coming out. Well, I mean, people showing up and spreading love and saying, yes, there are consequences to all the sins we have. Backbiting and judging and malice and causing strife and all that stuff listed in, you know, the law and in the in the Romans and stuff. But I see people saying, you know, actually, if you're going to speak the truth, actually have some love in your life. Actually, help people who are having a whole lot of difficulty helping themselves. So my next question is. And you have some history here I, I didn't know about. So growing up in a Southern Baptist church and being uh, in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church for a few decades and then a calling to ministry. Now you're ordained Cumberland Presbyterian minister. So you've got this wonderful and rich background. What hopes do you have for the church as you look into the future? still have hope for the church as I look into the future. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard in, you know, classes on, you know, working with millennials, I see the news every night. I probably shouldn't watch it as much as I do, but I do. Um, church membership is supposedly declining. Church uh, attendance is declining. Um, I have hope that um, as not just the Cumberland Church, but the Church Universal, we will see that we don't have to necessarily give up things to be reaching people for Christ, but we can add to what we're doing. Um, I see helpers, like Mr. Rogers was talking about, when he would get upset as a child and something bad would happen, he would say, look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. I see people um, making, you know, working and looking into new church developments. I've seen, uh, like, the home church model going back to the early church. The... Um, I call it uh, new worshiping communities. Uh, I mean, new worshiping communities, which I think I have because we're just not like uh, bring the old folks to the you know dining room and the preacher will preach and somebody will sing because we get together we discuss our stuff. Um, I think if we can, I don't want to say let go of our traditional church because I mean that serves a purpose. Um, I like to go. I'm doing it on Facebook still because I'm still paying much, you know, very close attention to uh, the COVID numbers. I'm double vaccinated with Moderna, and I haven't grown any extra arms yet. But I <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so I attend. Glenn and I attend every Sunday via Facebook watching Reverend Mark Rackley at Bartow uh, Presbyterian Church. That's a new way of doing it. Do, you know, do we want to 
and when you want to go back to just you must come inside this you know brick and mortar building some people may not can we not keep doing the kind of facebook outreach a lot of people that i've known have said you know we really it appears that we had more people listening and attending via uh, digital devices than we did before. And who's to say that that might not, somebody who really, really, really needs Christ might not um, come across, you know, somebody's Facebook Live broadcast and say, hey, maybe there's still hope for me here. Um, the churches that, um, you know, particularly in the class last year, uh, that were meeting in uh, like Pizza Hut, in, uh, uh, was it Willie's or Moe's, you know, a restaurant. I thought, you know, here's a worshiping community getting together and worshiping in a new and different way. Maybe, you know, they just kind of heard a little about Jesus and think, you know, Christians are just bunch of Christians. And then they just happen to listen in and hear the right words that say, hey, these people, these people are compassionate. These people are looking out for other folks. Maybe I should, you know, maybe I should pay attention to this Jesus stuff. Those are really strong, good hopes. And some of them aren't really hopes, Lee. They're also a reality currently happening. Yeah, that's exciting to me. Um, there's some folks I believe, I, well, I know it, I believe I've heard, you know, a few people here and there talk about, you know, we need to get back to the old time religion because it's good enough for me. But it might not be good enough for some of these folks who maybe had a problem caused by things that happened in their churches. Um, and uh, they need to be seeing that there's a, a reason to come back and, and join in in some kind of gathering. I mean, gosh, you know, you know, home churches in the early church really didn't look like, you know, a nice big brick building with the nice stained glass windows and padded pews and, you know, pretty stuff. Yeah, and some of the, some of the things that you've mentioned is overarching it is a review and a reflection upon what the definition of community means and faith community means and what can it look like and it, we're living in a wonderful time to where we're able to raise the question and struggle with it and learn from it and try new things and that's what I, I like your hope thank you for sharing it because your hope really is uh, in part a reality as yeah. the church at large is is exploring new ways to worship and to share uh, the good news. Oh, yeah. Lee, you mentioned earlier uh, Hickory Log and, and you gave out the, the website. Um, are there other ways for for those who are listening where they can continue to follow you on your faith journey? Um, I, I do have my own Facebook page, and uh, a lot of it's about Hickory Log, because um, I kind of drum up advertisement, you know, you can donate, you can help us, that kind of thing. Um, I can't really think of anything else. Uh, well, 
that's good enough. If people want to know more uh, about Hickory Log, you can go to hickorylog.org and um, you'll find some contact information for Lee and uh, you can reach out to her that way. Lee, I, I want to thank you. It has been a joy. You have taken me on quite a journey of your ministry, where you are today as chaplain, um, golly, preparing for school and special education and your hopes for the church and, and even where you see God working in the world today. You have covered the spectrum in terms of, of seeing the beauty of God in, in everything and uh, great aspirations for the church. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough, Lee. Thank you. I, I was kind of afraid to do this, but I kind of, kind of like when um, God started pushing me to ask the Hickory Lawn director years ago um, that, uh, you know, find out if Hickory Lawn needs a, a chaplain or a pastor and kind of argued with God a little bit and God set me up to meet the guy at a retired educator's Christmas party and I kept kind of feeling a nudge, you know, and so finally I hear the Holy Spirit say, ask him, you know, and you, you know, like got to kick my butt and you sure don't want to get your butt kicked by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so uh, I asked and um, the gentleman, Greg Flower said, yeah, yeah, and you know, I was kind of like another. I was kind of like another activity. Um, God started making it into chaplaincy, and it's kind of like, well, ask your presbytery if you can, um, you know, have a ordinationable call if you don't get paid. <laughs> Still, you know, it's kind of like God saying, okay, you need to talk to TJ. You need to email TJ. Finally, it's one of those. Do it minutes. <laughs> well, Lee, I want to thank you for serving our friends with intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities and for ministering to and with them. And I want to thank you for your sharing today. You're so welcome, TJ. Thank you for this ministry. It is so interesting to listen. Um, with the TV going and the you know, cooking going. <laughs> I'm one of those multitasking kind of folks. I think it's called ADHD. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Lee. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with us on our next journey down Cumberland Road.